0: I would like to make a few comments. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We see Americans hating each
1: other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. There
2: is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. This war is for the soul of America.
0: Because of the way this society is organized, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. Our side, our side, our side. (laughs) We are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish. Did we come all this way for this? It all seems a long way from a time when politics was a national passion and sometimes even fun. We are attempting on on a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. Three, two, one. We are met here as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, to solve that problem.
2: Welcome to the Pothole Problem Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Miller, and I'm coming to you from the White Tiger Studio in Portland, Oregon. My guest this week is Darren Golden, a former student of mine who graduated this past spring from PSU. He spoke at the graduation ceremony and he's returning to psu this fall for graduate studies in urban planning but the reason i'm having him on the show the main reason anyway is that he has political ambitions and a very concrete plan for his future and in my opinion he has the rare combination of skills and attitude and vision that's needed to succeed in electoral politics i wanted to talk to a young person darren is 26 years old so not super young not the traditional age for a college graduate because he served in the air force before beginning college But I wanted to talk to a person of the rising generation who's making the difficult and I really think courageous decision to dedicate his life to public service in the extremely competitive and usually very frustrating realm of electoral politics. I wanted to hear his perspective on political outrage and how he handles it personally and also how he thinks we as a society ought to handle it. We had a very interesting conversation that produced a phrase I like very much, serenity-led politics. That phrase comes up at the very end of the conversation, and I'll admit that it was me and not Darren who coined it, so of course it's not surprising that I like it. But the entire conversation weaves in and out of the role that serenity as a counterforce to outrage can potentially play in the politics of the 21st century. Before getting to the interview, I want to do a little housekeeping, as they say. We're in our fifth week of the podcast, and I'm seeing an audience beginning to build. And it's feeling a bit like there's a community that's building as well, with people subscribing, liking our Facebook page, checking out the episodes on YouTube and Stitcher, sending me emails. And it all feels like something good is happening here, and I'm hopeful that it can continue happening and continue growing that my intention for this show to help people develop a healthier relationship to politics, particularly to the strong feelings they get from paying attention to politics and looking at the outrages of the world, that my intention is being fulfilled, at least somewhat. So what I want to do is, first off, thank everybody who's already joined me on the journey, listening and subscribing, sending me emails, etc. And second, encourage you to spread the word to grow this community further. The website is potholeproblempodcast.com. And if you go there and click on the join link, You'll see links to our social media outlets and other ways you can join and support this community from subscribing and signing up for our email list to donating or sponsoring the podcast to help make it financially viable to continue production. Okay, that's it for housekeeping for this week. Now here's the interview. I just wanna say welcome to the show, Darren. It's good to have you here. Thank you. You're a former student of mine heading into graduate school this fall and uh, you're an impressive young man and I'm I'm happy to have you on the show. I would love to hear about your perspective. So I'm gonna ask you a question that I ask all of my guests. What is something that used to outrage you but no longer does? And if you could explain to me why it doesn't anymore.
1: The thing that used to outrage me and really keep me up at night and really frustrated me, and I've dealt with this personally and I've seen others deal with this, is the art of the institutions. And I mean that in a way that it used to upset me and outrage me how the systems, quote-unquote, were broken. And what kind of systems are you talking about? Political, educational? Political, educational. I mean, you name it. If it was
2: created by a governing body, that system. So, you had a general sense that institutions were just broken. I did. Why do you think you had that perspective? I'm a black man. I have watched educated,
1: strong black men and black women and people of color in general fail where so many other white individuals succeeded. As a child and as a teenager and as a young adult, I never understood why this was. And I thought that was because the systems were broken. I came to understand that it is not that they were broken. It's because they were working exactly how they were
2: intended to. Now, where does the outrage come in? And where does it dissipate or disappear or, or decline?
1: The outrage came in when... You observe a system that has a diverse body around it you could take georgia for example and their recent election for governor and stacy abrams not winning that governorship georgia is a very diverse state atlanta is extremely blue and very black the state in general failed Stacey Abrams. There's still investigations going on by Congress. They've seen that there are voter booths that were tampered with and she's still not governor and they still haven't done another recount and they haven't figured this out. But that's because the systems built around voter
2: suppression are working perfectly. I can completely see why you would be outraged by this. (laughs) And I asked you something that outraged you in the past, but no longer does. So why the change of emotion?
1: Serving in the military, I had a supervisor, Sergeant Brian Sammons. He was, I would say, one of the only people I looked up to when I was serving. It's very difficult to find somebody you look up to when you truly value yourself. He always said to me that the moment you bring emotion into a fight, you have lost. And I never understood that because I'd always watched civil rights movement and activists scream and yell and everybody get really upset and up in arms about everything and then I realized that those individuals were absolutely catalysts for change but the people creating the change on paper the change on record were not going into these fights with emotion and they weren't screaming in city halls and they weren't yelling at their state legislator or in Congress. Some of them may have those. those ones are generally ineffective and I wanted to find out how to be the most effective person in doing that,
2: maybe in the future. So this dictum, don't bring your emotions to a fight, made sense with you pretty much right away. Or did it take a little while for it to sink
1: in? It took a while. First of all, men are told to suppress their emotion in general. It's something we've been hearing over and over again. It's, boys don't cry. Except for your anger. That's yes. The only emotion we don't have to suppress is our anger. Exactly. It makes you stronger if you're angry, which is wrong. I believe that showing emotion is absolutely important. And I remember one Everybody saw Obama cry for the first time on TV. That was something that moved communities across America, and people didn't understand what to feel because there was the leader of the free world, the strongest person in the world, crying on national
2: television. Sadness does not have to be a sign of weakness. In fact, it can be a sign of strength that you have the strength to show how emotionally are so, don't bring your emotions to a fight that helped you to deal with outrage, which doesn't mean you're going to suppress all your emotions exactly. T- so, tell me a little bit more about how that played out in terms of you see, being able to now look at these what you first thought were broken institutions, but then realize no, they're functioning exactly as they're intended in a way that is detrimental to a lot of people, and you. We're able to take your outrage and what set it aside suppress it see it from a different perspective channel it channel it
1: I don't think we should lose our outrage I think our outrage is what drives us but I think showing it in a unproductive manner which when we're talking about government institutions outrage is generally unacceptable you can be upset you can be sad you can be happy but you can't be outraged people will stop taking you seriously And again, you'll become ineffective. So doing your best to truly finding out the root causes of why these systems exist in the manner that they do, researching, studying, interviewing people, doing everything you can to find this out,
2: I think outrage is what drives you to get those answers. So I've known you for a while. You've been a student and you were a student in a few of my classes. And uh, we've talked outside of class quite a bit. And you strike me as a relatively if not extraordinarily serene person and i can see that you have things that you object to and problems in the world that you want to tackle that's been clear from the beginning of our relationship but you come across in a very serene fashion so what has there been specific things that you've done in your personal practice of channeling outrage to find this serenity or is this just kind of a natural demeanor for you
1: watching my father and how my my grandfather used to approach situations. They were very serene and methodical about the way they approached any situation. I mean, obviously, I got to see anger from my dad and outrage as any child will see from their parents at any point in life. But watching the way they go about specific situations Is something I wanted to emulate because I saw how effective they were and how respected they were so you had good role models
2: absolutely so I would I would normally want to move on and say okay so what's something that does outrage you now but it sounds like the same thing continues to outrage you but you just are able to channel your outrage in and be serene in the face of it and hold on to it as a motivator an emotional motivator but not have it be a distraction or uh, problematic for you in your political activities or is there something that outrages you that you just can't you're not (laughs) serene in the face of is there something I would say wealth
1: inequality wealth inequality is pretty close if not the direct contributor to all of the issues we have in any country everyone says well how do we fix this well we need more money well, in the U.S., we have 35% of the money is controlled by less than 1% of the population. I think that's a very big issue. And I think that wealth inequality truly is the largest issue because with more money, we can fix health care. With more money, we can fix children going hungry.
2: We can fix housing. You are a young man with political aspirations. What are some important things that have happened to you that have built the Darren Golden that I see before me right now?
1: Short-term shift, I guess you could say. I, um, I got arrested in Fort Collins, Colorado, I would say, I think it's four years ago now. And prior to that arrest, I was in the Air Force. Well, during the arrest and after the arrest, I was in the Air Force serving as a military police. And I wanted to join the FBI. And I wanted to be a special agent. And I didn't have a focus of what kind of crime I wanted to focus on. It was more around sex crimes and something of that nature. But after getting arrested, I recognized the issues that exist around the legal system and the criminal justice system. And then how systemic those issues were, where they come from and where they're going or where, sadly, they're not going. And did you have
2: an experience with the police in Fort Collins that was tinged by your race? Anyway. Uh, it was definitely racially charged. And was it, had you experienced racism from the police force before, or was this an eye opener because it didn't ever happen to you, or this was just a bigger uh, example?
1: You know, there'd been mild instances where I'd dealt with institutional racism from the police in general, but never
2: directly in my face physically. This was different. So you you were on track to be you're in the Air Force Military Police. You, your ambition is to go into the FBI. Mm-hmm. And you have an experience with the Fort Collins Police. And that changes your whole trajectory.
1: Changes everything. Enlisted military personnel don't make a lot of money. I was going to be going into debt, focusing on trying to pay for a private attorney because I public defender would have not have helped me at all in a all-white county that was not focused on helping me out systemically. Finding the right person was expensive and recognizing that if me, someone who has what you could call a professional job, uh, the military was struggling to pay for that, something that should be a basic need was not present. And then I also recognize that I'm someone who comes from a good background that is dealing with this and I've got education and people supporting me.
2: And I'm still struggling to get through this. So you're not even in a position where this would be the most difficult for somebody. And yet it's extremely difficult for you to face this challenge, this personal challenge.
1: Yes. I would say I was in the best position a black man could be in to deal with this. And I still was struggling. And I mean, struggling a lot underwater. I didn't tell my parents about it for a long time um, because I know they worry so much and they understand the issues that exist and... the stress that I was going through would be exponential that my mom would have would have experienced.
0: You're listening to the Pothole Problem podcast created by White Tiger Productions. At White Tiger Productions, we create experiences. If you have an idea for a podcast, a workshop, or a show of any kind, we'll help you go from concept to execution. We provide creative direction and production support. We've got a podcast studio, writers and storytellers, sound engineers and editors, designers, videographers, hosts, creative coaches, everything you need to manifest your creative potential. You name it or even vaguely describe it, and we'll take you from dream to finished product. White Tiger Productions. You can do what you think, and we can help you. Visit us at youcandowhatyouthink.com and tell us what you're thinking about.
2: I'm going to ask you a tough question. You're not naive or foolish, and so you must know that the future of being an elected official or seeking to be an elected official, Mm -hmm. uh, you have to know that that's going to be very frustrating. And that to get things done is going to take monmouth inputs of energy for small incremental changes. Yet you are deciding to dedicate your youthful energy and potentially the rest of your life to this endeavor of running for office so that you can make things that you think are wrong better. So I'm, I'm going to do a, a moral hypothetical for you here. OK. It's the near future, and you're running for an elective office. And you notice that there is outrage in the community. And it's pointed at something that you also think is problematic that you would love to change. Mm-hmm. And if you can unleash and ride this outrage, you will be more likely to be successful getting elected. Are you going to, we talked about serenity earlier, and about channeling your outrage, and don't bring your emotion to a fight. Are you going to wrestle with yourself if it seems clear that amplifying people's outrage is going to be an avenue for you to be successful? Or are you going to want to promote and sustain a kind of serene outrage, even if it costs you votes, even if it potentially costs you an election? That is a
1: very difficult question. I believe it's important to understand where you're at at that point in time. I think... You'd be an idiot to say, I'm going to try go against the tide because I think I have a better way of doing things. A public servant slash elected officials, number one job is to have their finger on the vein of the community and understanding what the community wants and what the community needs. If the community is at a point where it's boiling up and outrages what they feel they need, I think it is a public servant's job to give them a platform to channel that and teach them how to channel it properly, not throwing Molotovs through windows or flipping cars. I think it's okay to scream in the streets if you're, if you're that upset about it and you've gotten to a point where you feel that unheard. And just sometimes just the act of expressing your anger helps to burn it out i mean we've all thrown our heads into the pillows when we were kids and screamed at our parents when they couldn't hear us and we felt better it's natural to
2: express yourself it's one of the things that i think is tricky about the expressing of these emotions in the political forum is that unlike pounding the pillow and screaming and throwing a fit and slamming your door as a kid and even as an adult where you can essentially express the the emotion and get get it out it seems like in the public forum, there's an amplifying effect that that kind of behavior has that instead of it being cathartic, it tends to be self-reinforcing. Mm-hmm. So like the art, I suppose, to do what you seem to be recommending to like give people an outlet and to you know realize that if there's outrage in the community and it has a real source, you shouldn't try to suppress it. But how do you get in the public forum outrage expressed in a way where it can be cathartic rather than self-reinforcing?
1: I can't answer that question directly, but I can answer that with how outrage generally subsides is one, it's oppressed, uh, which is the natural way of doing it, sadly. Or two, something's done about it. Change is made. It's rare, it's incremental, it's tough, but that's when we start to see the pot not boil over as much
2: you need to give people results about what they're outraged about especially if it's on target that's why earlier i said well you know it's going to be frustrating because you're you're never going to get all the way there never and part of what your task will have to be is how to manage your own disappointment in the slowness of change and in people who create obstacles in your path especially when it seems like they are doing so only for self-serving reasons I've been a student of politics for 25 years, and one of the most frustrating things to people who are good-hearted is that others seem to only be self-interested and getting in the way. And that the (laughs) self-interested obstructors win way too often. Well, it's like being on a a crowded freeway
1: and, you know, everyone else around you is traffic, but you're not traffic. Right, you're Um, just trying to get home. Just trying to get home. I think it's important to take a look in the mirror when those individuals who are public officials believe that everyone else around them is, you know, morally wrecked and not there for the right reasons. I think most people get into politics because they want true systems change. They want true moral change. And they are generally good-hearted people. Personally, we always have to be self-checking if we're still moral. And I think it's the easiest way to do that is to turn around and look at people you are representing And if they still align with you and you're being honest with them, if they're still behind you,
2: then I think we're still being moral. I like your traffic metaphor because it's a reminder that other people are out there. They're just trying to do the same thing you're trying to do, but they are going somewhere different and they are in your way. Mm -hmm. Keeping that in mind is really great for people who have different views on what needs to be changed and where the scarce resources need to be sent. It's remember that, oh, they're trying to get somewhere too. That's the same kind of place. They're trying to get home and I'm trying to get home their home is different than my home how do you keep reminding yourself that those other people are good-hearted and trying to get to a different home than you are well instead of you
1: looking at yourself on a crowded freeway you imagine yourself in a crowded subway and you understand that you are all part of the same vehicle and that everyone has a stop they have to get off to and eventually everyone's gonna get where they need to be but you have to exist in another person's space to get there. And we have to understand why people want these things and figure out a to, way to get to these different objectives amicably. And I believe that cohesion is one of the most important things in, in this current time of polarizing political parties and values, and demographics. It's something we are
2: moving away from. I like that your extension of the metaphor from the freeway to the subway. And it seems like part of the task in being a future political leader an activist and agent of change is to be able to not only yourself change the mindset that you have about other people and their goals and where they're going, but to change the metaphor from freeway to subway that we are all on the same subway. And that, that is a challenging task. And, and I will, I will say as we wrap things up here that you're about half my age and listening to you talk makes me think that the possibility of having a more productive and serene and yet still outrage driven, <laughs> outrage motivating, uh, maybe instead of outrage sort of influenced politics in the future, it's that it's possible. I really do hope that it's possible. So I want to thank you for coming in and talking to me today. If, is there any last things you want to say before I let you go? Anything you want to plug that you're doing?
1: Twitter, Instagram, don't have a Facebook. They're all at Darren Golden. We'll get
2: this in the show notes. Um, and you can follow this ambitious young man and see if his uh, serenity led politics is where it's going to go. Well, thanks, Darren. Thank you, Jack. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Okay, well, that brings us close to the end of another episode. I want to thank you for listening and thank you for spreading the word. This is episode number five, and that takes us about halfway through the first season. I'm going to be doing this... Every Monday during the Portland state term, it's a 10 week term. So I've done five episodes. I might do a bonus 11th episode. Anyway, we have a bunch of interviews coming up next week. I'm going to be doing a show where my son Zane interviews me. That show is about the length of the presidential campaign and a perspective on why it might be that that very protracted event that takes place over the course of years might not be a source of outrage or could not be a source of outrage for people who are outraged by it or frustrated or annoyed or some other kind of negative emotion. So stay tuned for that next week. As always, I'm going to go out with a song. But first, I would like to say that if anybody out there uh, has an original song they would like to contribute to the podcast or knows a musician who does, you should reach out to me, jack.miller at pdx.edu. You can always go to the website, potholeproblempodcast.com to find contact information and to reach out. Okay, well, here we are, Take Me Back to That Dream, by Chuck Massey.
0: To that dream The one where I just have been Something happened there just about I'm gonna see how it turned out So take me back to that place in my dream I'll close my eyes and breathe deep soon i'll be fast asleep something happened there just about i'm gonna see how it turned out so take me back to that place Back to that dream, the one where I just have been. Something happened there, just about. I'm gonna see how it turned out. So take me back to that dream. Take me back to that dream, the one where I just have been, something happened there just about, I'm gonna see how it worked out, so take me back to that place.